I want to give us some background, read, read some scripture, and this morning let me just tell you that I'm going to be very, I, I would consider this extremely pastoral. We're in the fall session, our kids are in school, the youth are on the campus, mom and dad's back to work. I kind of want to, kind of want to just bring you in a little cool, like a fireside talk with a pastor and his people, parents and their children, and I, I want to just, I, I want to tell you that life can be tough, and I know that there's enough, plenty of people in this room that I can tell you this, that not everything's going well for everybody in this room, especially if we are Christians. Because when you become a twice-born man or woman or young person, you become a target. And how many of you have learned years ago, Satan's an expert marksman and he can't hit what he aims at? Yes? I'm going to pray the Lord would give you a voice to talk louder. <laughs> so I want to read something about a grand old story in the Old Testament. It's filled with what's called in theological terms types and shadows, meaning in the Old Testament, it's a picture of what comes to the New Testament. It's a shadow or something that is likened into what is in the New Testament. And so I want to take you to an old story. I hope you're familiar with it. It's in the book of Judges, chapter 13. I'm going to read a few verses, if you will, about a young man and his parents. Notice the situation of national Israel, which is akin to what I believe if America doesn't have a revival we're going to experience. It said, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them to the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. I want to declare to you this morning, everybody look at me. If we keep pushing God out of America, we are going and headed for bondage spiritually in this nation. Ladies and gentlemen, we need a revival in the United States of America. Can you say Amen. Now there was a certain man from Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife, Baron, had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive, bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the land of the Philistines. I, I just want to tell you there was a Nazarite vow in the Old Testament in the Jewish community. You can look at it, read about it, but it was all set aside strictly for the use of God, and God was going to use this young man that he announced his birth to deliver Israel from their bondage. I, I want to... Uh, I won't read verses 6 through 11. Let me just give you a quick gist of them. The angel left that wife and came and returned. When the, when the wife saw the angel return, she went and got her husband named Manoah. And they went to see this angel. Let's pick it up in verse 12 if you have your Bibles. Manoah said to this angel, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? Every parent, look at me. It is your job to see that you raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so I'm going to get a little bold, parents. You're supposed to be in charge of your house. You're supposed to build the perimeters and say, don't do this and do this. You're supposed to set that. If you do not build that guard and that protection about them, they don't know how to handle life. They don't know how to make decisions. They don't know what kind of directions to go. So don't think, well, I just can't hurt my baby. You're hurting them if you do not. It's called neglect to being a parent. 
Amen. I know I'll shout you down on that. But there's a certain security about that. And we don't just let your child do what they want to do. Don't let them go where they want to go. Don't let them act like they want to act. You are a parent. You're supposed to teach them how to handle life. I figured you'd shout at me. It's your responsibility. That's why God put them in a Christian home. And if you don't teach them, you're not doing them a favor. Well, I just love them so much, Pastor. No, cotton ball is not love. Cotton ball is neglect. It, if you take your child out of everything all their life that is always uncomfortable, they'll never know how to handle anything. Well, it's true. Here we are. So, Judges 30, look at verse 17. Then, then this happens. Kind of some strange thing. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. Now they had given him a sacrifice. So watch this. He said, and the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Oh my goodness, what, what in the world is that all about? Let me tell you, let me just go down to verse 21. And when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah said he knew that he was the angel of that. He was the angel of the Lord. Let me, let me give you some, some reference in that. What was actually happening here, and I believe with all my heart, many theologians do, and many, many people who study the word great deeply, we believe there was called a pre-incarnate Christ. That means Christ who was not in the flesh of men before he was incar incarnated in the flesh, walked through the pages of the Old Testament. And he appeared this time as an angel. And this was actually the Son of God that appeared to these men. Eventually, when he comes at what we call Christmas, he will be not just in the angelic being, but he will be in the form of a human being. This is the pre-incarnate Son of God appearing to these people. And it was quite an inspiration to them. Isaiah said, 750 years before Christ was born, when he told them about the Christ coming, he said, he shall be born. And he said this, his name shall be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And he goes on, the very first name the old prophet gave him, here he says, my name is Wonderful. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this book is awesome. Isn't it? Isn't it awesome? Laced with so much you could never exhaust it. But I want you to notice now, after verse 21, so we're going to get human here. I want you to notice the conversation that I'm going to read in a minute about a man and wife. And notice that they've had this spectacular visitation. I mean, just imagine you've been wanting a child and a son because the value of the man and the value of the woman in that culture, we had to have a son. Not that they're prejudiced against daughters, but they wanted their name to be carried because with it were great blessings and great inheritance, inheritance and all those kind of things. So they're, they're, they're just elated. And by the way, what would you feel like if God walked through your living room and just said, I'm God standing here and I'm going to do this? Would you just go, yeah, Lord, well, good to see you buddy. I don't think so. You know what I think you'd do? I think we'd probably be closer like uh, John when he saw him in the revelation, when he saw him in his glory, fell on his face, said, I can't even look at you. But here, so just imagine the emotion. Imagine, imagine this, the, the, the atmosphere of this angelic visit. <laughs> Let me back up here just a minute. How many of you know that sometimes uh, when when, when a man kind of gets emotional, sometimes his wife needs to keep him level. I just lost every male friend in the house. 
How many of you know that when a lady gets emotional sometimes, get out that the man needs to balance it out? Listen, God put that in us so that we can help one another, not so we can fight about it. And we get that backward all the time. I want you to go just suddenly right in the middle. I want you to look at a conversation that I think is wonderful between a man and his wife that just had one of the greatest experiences in their whole world. Look at verse 22. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, Now listen to me. <laughs> I put those words in there. Lord, forgive me, I'm not adding to your word. If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have sown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. Guys, don't you just hate that? Don't you just hate it when she's right and you're... I don't think I've added to her take it away from the Word of God here. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Okay, so that's the background. We're going to go to the text over in chapter 14. Follow me, if you will, at verse 1. Samson went down. This is the son grown up. Went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So when he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. In these cultures, the parents arranged the weddings and the mates. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren, among all my people, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. Watch this that he, God, was seeking the occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, meaning Samson. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would tear apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his mother or father what he had done. Then when he went down and talked with the woman, she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hand and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some of them... He gave some of some to them, and they also ate. What a great story. Father, let your spirit set upon our minds this morning. I want us to make this so practical, Lord, that we can be, your word can be serviceable. I pray it for the glory of our Christ. Amen. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we as Christians in the New Testament era hear these words. So I want you to hear what, what Peter says to us today. In this hour and in this day and this time, you and I are in a battle. So Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around or about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, 
by the book in relationship with Christ, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. What powerful words for the New Testament Christian. Let me declare there comes a time in every Christian's life, young, old, male, female, rich, poor, bond, and free. There comes times in all of our lives when a lion will roar against your life. And I want to say this morning, this lion didn't come to Samson as a sweet little kitty to say meow. He didn't come as something that was coming and say, I, I, I just think I don't like you. I'd like to scratch you or something. This young lion came there about the business of eating. He roared because he was on the prowl for dinner and he was after the child of God. You know why? Because Satan knew when the angel said to the parents, I have this set for him, I'm going to use him to take Israel out of 40 years of bondage. Anytime you're a threat for Satan, he'll come as a roaring lion to destroy you any way he can. And I want to say, the greater the responsibility and the greater the leadership, the more the lion will roar and come. And the Bible makes it very clear. Samson had absolutely nothing in his hand. And Samson learned, and I want us to know, I know we know, but i got to say again as a pastor, in this year, in this time, in America, where we are, we must learn, we had better have the Spirit of God. The good news is that when we have the Spirit of God, we do not need the hand of flesh. And I will tell you this, please, everybody hear me. Young, young people hear me. You've got to learn this lesson. When you have a lion coming at you, if you keep trying to handle it on your own, and you keep trying to fight your own battles, and you keep trying to do it within your flesh, I will tell you this, you're going to be exhausted, worn out, and it will not work. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God came mightily upon this man. Now because of centuries of artwork, Christian artwork, we get the idea, I think, that Samson was, a, was an Old Testament Rambo or something, like Pastor Brooks or something, like, but, or like the Mr. Universe, something like that. We get this. I hate to doubt in this room. It just gets me. We, we get this idea that, that he's this strong man and he's this bulked up guy, but to be honest with you, the text says the very opposite. It indicates the opposite. If Samson, just think about this, if Samson had been pumping iron and doing all the stuff and, and built a magnificent physique and all that, then later on when Delilah was trying, why would she ask him, please tell me where your strength lies? It wasn't because he was bulked. It wasn't because he was Mr. Universe. It wasn't because he was anything extraordinary. It, God made it very plain. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. A few days later, He's walking, and he thought, I guess this is what he thought. I'm just going to walk by and see about the lion carcass. And so he checked it out. Buzzards, in my concept, had plucked the flesh away. Takes a little time. The sun had bleached the bones out, and I know that this carcass was clean, else bees wouldn't be there. But here's the good part. A swarm of bees came and settled in it and built a honeycomb. And Samson, having visited it, reached into it, got honey and honeycomb out of that carcass. He ate it and took some to mom and dad. And I want to talk to you this morning about when the lion roars, eat the honey. 
Say that with me. When the lion roars, eat the honey. Will you turn to your neighbor, your husband or wife, and say, when the lion roars, eat the honey? Pastor, why would you have us do that? Why would you have us do that? Ladies and gentlemen, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities of darkness, wickedness in high places, age rulers of darkness. And if you don't think they're alive and well on this planet today just before the return of Christ, we need to wake up, and he will affect us in any way he can. So I want to talk to you this morning about that. I don't know what lion may be roaring at your life, but I want to tell you this. The Lord laid this message on my heart for this morning. And so out of Old Testament pictures to instruct us in the New Testament believers, I have six quick things I want to try to share with you. First of all, God intends you to, the believer, to first of all, turn sickness to sanctification. Instead of the thing that came against Samson devouring him and destroying him, he, by the help of the Spirit of God, turned it around and ate sweetness from the carcass of the enemy that was designed to destroy him. I'm going to read you some words about physical sickness. These aren't the Old Testament. This is after the Christ paid the price. James talks about it. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Watch the next verse. Confess your trespasses one to another. When you need help, ask for it. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that God has something to say and do about the sicknesses that we encounter. But hear me. Sickness is a time to examine yourself spiritually. Pastor, why? Are you saying, Pastor, that I'm sick because of something I've done wrong? Not necessarily at all. But let me say to you this. Every one of us have responsibility to, to keep our bodies because they belong to the Lord. If you abuse your body and you don't nourish it, or if you mistreat it, then you can expect sickness. But, but some, something, there's something about the time of sickness. I've been there many times, many different things, and I will tell you this. It's a time where you, you may not can go to work or you can't meet the demand that you normally have. But I will tell you this. Every time that's ever happened to me in my life, the first thing I do, I cry out to God and I say, Lord, have I missed you? God, what's going on here? Lord, I need to hear from you. You and I need this conversation, God. And let me tell you, when, he, when we do hear from God, He will take that as an opportunity to say, we will, Lord, I'm going to use this thing that's come to set to destroy me as a means to know sweetness out of its death. God, I'm asking you to heal me. I'm asking you to do something in this situation. God, I want to know, and if this is how I get time, the Lord bring it to me because I don't want to miss what you're doing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul was talking about these words. He said, examine yourself before you take the Lord's table or communion because you can take it unworthily. That means you're, you're, not in, you're not in right relationship with the Lord. And he said, don't take communion. Many did for a, for a show to say, well, we're spiritual and righteous. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul declared, he said, many are sick among you because they took God's communion 
unworthily. So here's the thing. When we ask the Lord to turn His searchlight upon us, I will tell you this. When we get quiet before the Lord and we get it all settled down and we realize there's nothing about this I can do, God has a way of searching us and He has a way of dealing with our hearts and He has a way of touching us in the deep part of our lives and things that we need to deal with. Let the church say amen. Many are sick, but I want to tell you for sure, don't ever doubt it, that sickness is not from God. God is not the author of sin, sickness, and disease. It's the lion the prince of the air, the power, and the age ruler of darkness I mentioned a while ago, now roaring at you. And let me just declare, when that lion comes, he's not there to play with you. He's not there to toy with you. He is there to totally destroy you spiritually. Because we are warriors. And as we represent God, and as we try to live uprightly, the lion roars to destroy us. But I declare to you, if you will turn to the Spirit of God, if you will spend that time with God, He will make us to dip honey out of that experience. The one word in the story of Joseph that is wonderful is this. He said it to his brothers that had totally destroyed him. He said, you meant it, Satan meant it for evil, but God means it for good. And the very thing that's pressing you today physically is the very thing God wants you to have victory in so you can get the honey out of it. Say praise the Lord. Turn it into sanctification. Secondly, turn your hurt to help. I tried to make these words so we could easily remember them. Turn your hurt to help. If we go to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 tells us, we declare that we have a high priest. And the author of Hebrews says, Our high priest has gone through every temptation, every pressure, every problem, every kind of experience of hurt and suffering and weariness and onslaught of Satan himself trying to get the Christ to not even drink of the cup of sin for you and me. And he was under such pressure in Gethsemane and it's physically possible. Psych uh, doctors tell us that when you get it so intense under pressure that your brow can actually, your blood will come out on your brow and that happened to Christ. All of that and yet without sinning, that he might become your and my faithful high priest. So he is moved today by the infirmities that you and I are experiencing. Do you know why Jesus is so understanding, can understand about hurts and pains like that and pressure like that? You know why he can do it so well? Because he's been through every bit of it. He knows exactly what it's like. He took it upon himself. Our infirmities. Don't ever say, God, you don't understand. He understands even beyond your knowledge. His family, his own family mocked him. His community doubted him. There wasn't anybody... Religious folk called him a phony and ridiculed him. Numbers, multitudes questioned his legitimacy in his birth. He knew what it was to be all alone. He knew what it was to feel like even God himself had turned his back on him. But watch what the Christ did. When the lion of hurt came roaring... Our master turned that hurt into help. And the Spirit says when Jesus was tempted, the Spirit 
And then the angels came and ministered to him. I want to tell you something. He did all that. He took all that, and the Spirit of God raised him so that he could succor or comfort and settle us in our worst time. I want to declare to you, I believe God allows the lion of hearts and wounds and hurts and emotions sometime to roar at us. Well, what kind of a God is that? I'll tell you what kind of God he is. He's a parent that loves us beyond what we know so he so that once that pain comes there, we can grab it, and by the anointing and the help of the Holy Spirit, you and I can mature, and we can learn to defeat it, and then we can, every time Satan brings that bad chapter up in our life, we can walk back past it in our memory, and we can draw sweetness from it and give it to others, our family and our neighbors. Listen, God never wastes a tough experience in your life. When you're hurting, let the Spirit of God come upon you. Snap the neck of that lion. Walk back one day. Buy it. And every time you remember it, every time the circumstance almost is almost to set up on itself again, draw honey out of that carcass. I just want to tell you. I'm not trying to be a martyr here, but I want to tell you something. Sometimes being a pastor can be a very bruising, wounding, pressured business. Anybody in this room ever felt like a pastor or anybody else? I guess we all have the same things. But anybody here ever felt like you've just been beat up spiritually? How many of you? Anybody here ever just been so exhausted you feel like you can't even move? I think, I think Satan comes like that. I've looked over my life and looked at things that hurt me so badly. And here's something amazing. Satan will come against your mind and make your imagination just go beyond. And, and he'll get a whole wrong mindset. He can get you a whole wrong attitude. And you just literally are almost bound in the same kind of entangled, pressured thinking. But I've learned as I look back over my life, I've learned that God through those times taught me and taught me and taught me and taught me and taught me. And so when you have a problem and you say, Pastor, I need help, the Spirit of God comes upon me and I go back to that memory and I'm able to pull out of the very thing that tried to destroy me, the honey, and I can feed it to you. That's how you can help people the most. And can I say this? Can I say this? Many times when we're struggling, it isn't us that God has in mind. Yeah, the enemy comes and he roars. God will come upon us and give us the victory. But can I tell you, God will allow that because then and only then when we pay the price to minister, do we really minister with the right heart and attitude. It's an amazing thing. Before you can understand being lonely, you have to be lonely. Before you can understand the deserted, you have to be deserted. Before you can understand suffering, you have to suffer. The first year in the ministry, I, I started full-time in the ministry in September and January. Satan tried to take me out early. Uh, pastor friend, we had an hour and a half out of town in Little Rock, Arkansas. There's lots of trees in Arkansas. And he had one in his front living room and Pastor friend of mine said, come on, Brooks, you raised on a farm, use a chainsaw, and I want you to cut it. And so I went, got up a tree, January, had about eight, ten inches of snow on the ground. I'm up here, I've cut trees all my life, I know how to make the cuts. Didn't make any difference. This time, I was 20 feet off the ground, I went to make the final cut, 
and for, I guess it was cold, I don't know, but instead of the tree cracking and setting down, it just exploded about eight feet out the limb and it kicked the tree back. And I immediately, I'm upside down with a chainsaw running. I have 20 feet between me and the ground and I threw the chainsaw, turned me sideways. I landed over that limb that was about that big around. I broke six ribs, r put six holes in my lung, deflated it, ruptured my spleen. And I was hemorrhaging inside. I'll never forget when Satan came roaring thinking he's going to take me out in the ministry. About three days later, a, a well-meaning deacon, which I loved, good man, he walked in the hospital room and I was laying there and my, this side of my chest was about three inches taller than this side of my chest and, and I could barely get any air. And the doctor was trying to want to do surgery on and on, but this deacon come in, and he's he's a good man. You know how many times you've just sometimes you just don't know how it is. I learned something that day. He walked in with a little toy chainsaw, and he pulled it, and it went. Brrr! And I went to laugh, and when I did, I totally passed out. I went. Ha! The pain was unbelievable. I know you think I'm a weakling. I tell you what, you try it. I know you think I'm weak. You just try it. <laughs> I've thought about it so many times. But you know what? It's a picture of what I'm talking about. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a hospital room and I'm careful how I take a hand. I'm careful about shaking somebody's hand. I want to tell you, God takes every experience like that that comes to destroy us. I just want to say, but thank God, take the hurt and make something out of it. When the lion roars with hurt, eat the honey. But while you do, take enough for someone else. Thirdly, turn your trouble into triumph. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul describes we as ministers and we as believers, second-born men and women, Ladies and gentlemen and young people, he says this to us. He said, the lion roars to every one of us. He comes, brings trouble, and he brings the trouble to ruin us. Paul said in his experience was this. He came in on every side. Paul said, because of it, I'm perplexed. I have no idea what to do. He said, I'm persecuted. I am being, he said, I have on my body scars and of warring. You know the story. He said, I've been beaten. I've been stoned. Paul had been tortured. Paul had been put in prison. He had been starved. He had been left for dead because they took rocks and tried to kill him. But Paul goes on and said, but I want you to know the lion of trouble has been slain to rebound to your benefit and to the glory of God. And Paul said, because he sustained me, I can tell you how God will sustain you. Because I've known trouble, I can show you victory. Ladies and gentlemen, in 2018, I declare to you, the Spirit of God is still real. I declare to you, the Spirit of God remains strong. I declare to you, the living God is still present in your life. God has, every time they called on Him, turned the picture around so that the lion is defeated. Maybe you're in that time where it's taking some time 
Maybe the sun's bleaching the carcass. But I want to tell you something. If you call on it, God will bring the honeycomb. So I want to tell you something. Good news in a bad news world. The same spirit that refreshed Samson can refresh you. The same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, if it dwells in you, that same spirit that quickened the Christ's mortal body shall quicken your mortal body. Call on him. Call on him. Call on him. Call on him. Say it with me. Call on him. Turn your trouble into triumph. Before I give you the next one, I think they'll probably put it up. I want to go over to Psalm 116. I want to take you in the time of David's time. David is the king of Israel. There's probably three million people that he is in leadership. David has had everything he can have come against him. His own children have murdered each other. One brother murdered a brother. A son murdered another son. One of the sons had raped one of the daughters. Everything that could go wrong in David's life has gone wrong. I want to read you a verse 3 in Psalm uh, 116 that David says, The pangs of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol, meaning hell, laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Can you, he's saying, everything that hell can muster is coming against me. But I want you to notice something. David had learned, learned this. I want you to, I'm going to read another verse. He says this. Here's his decision. Here's what he does. He will take that pain and turn it into praise. He said, verse 13, I will take up the cup of salvation. You know what he's saying? He is saying, Satan, I will not let you have victory in my life. The God that's in me is far greater than the God that's in this world. And he said, I will call upon the name of the Lord. I want to jump on down to, to verse 13. Listen, I mean verse 17. Listen to what he says. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. He didn't feel like it. It didn't feel good. It Nothing changed. But he said, I will offer you thanksgiving. And I will call upon the name of the Lord. And listen to verse 18. He said, I will pay my vows to the Lord. I will keep you, God, as Lord of my life. Now, and watch this, in the presence of his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, I will praise the Lord. You know what? David's doing here. He's in agony of soul. He's had all he can handle. It's hard, difficult situation in life. He's the king and everybody sees him and everybody ridicules. Everybody judges. Everybody knows. And he says, in the midst of all these pressures, in the midst of these lions bringing everything that hell can bring against my mind and my soul, he said, I take all this pain and I put it to praise and say, God, I will praise you. I will trust you in the midst of whatever hell brings against me. I will turn it to praise, David said, but I want to be careful to let you know, not praise for, not praise for the pain. Praise in spite of the pain. 
It's resolved because the Spirit of God comes and it empowers us. God, I will, David said, in the weakness that my people see in me, I will, God, right in the, in the mistakes my people that know I've made and they see that I am as human as I can be, Lord, right in the midst of it, regardless of how they criticize or what they think, I will praise you. I will praise you. I will praise you. Brings me to the next one. Turn weakness into work. Wait a minute, Pastor. So just hear me a minute. First Corinthians 2, Paul says, I was with you. Let's just understand something. Paul, Paul was not, and I'll tell a little bit about it in a minute. Paul was not a monster and a, and a Rambo at all. Matter of fact, Paul was a Jewish young man. And he said, when he's older times, after he'd been through all this, he said, I was with you in weakness and infirmities. And he said, and much in trembling, Paul got to where he'd handled about all he could handle. Second Corinthians 10, Paul said, my letters, you say my letters are weighty and they are powerful. But you say my bodily presence is weak. And you say my speech is contemptible. This is the greatest apostle of the New Testament. Greatest man in the New Testament saved Jesus Christ. In history and bio biographies that I've read about Paul, listen to this. They said Paul had a raspy voice. They said because he'd been beaten and because he'd been tortured that he talked out of the side of his mouth. They say his, his raspy voice was a high-pitched raspy voice. Paul was bald-headed because all real men of God are bald-headed. <laughs> History says that Paul stood probably about 4 foot 11 inches tall. But there's sure a lot of man in that less than 5 feet. He walked what they call bandy-legged. He'd been broken and he'd been beaten so badly that Paul could hardly get around, and he was stoop-shouldered because of all the things that he had encountered. But none of that kept Paul from working for the Lord. He wrote the book of the New Testament under the power of the Spirit of God that came and let him take honey out of everything Satan had roared. Outside of Christ, no man in the New Testament did anything near to accomplish what Paul did. Today, we have a tendency to lean on our talent and our abilities. And that's good. I have no qualm with it. But I will just tell you this. Eventually, talent and ability and beauty and strong, hard bodies, all that changes. I, I don't... To be honest with you, I, don't, I hardly recognize the guy right now that looks back at me in the mirror compared to what he used to be. Because I'm telling you, years ago, he was something in the kitchen. Nobody else will say it. I have to say it myself. <laughs> you know what I mean. Here he is. People rely on talent and ability, but eventually it fades. Eventually you can't lean on that. 
But I want to declare to you this morning when we lean on God in a time of weakness, God makes us strong. And lastly, and I'll be through, in Acts 4, Peter and John had just received the Spirit of God. They just received the call of God. The New Testament church was coming, and they walked by a gate, and they said, silver and gold we have, but such as we have through the power of God, and they healed that man. They were in a victory of their life. Can you imagine? And suddenly, the magistrates come and throw them in jail. They stayed there for days. They brought them back in front of the judge and the jury, and they said, summarizing for me, I'll just summarize it. If you preach this name again among us, we're going to imprison you for life or kill you. Stop it. And they put them in jail. Here's the good news. But the church prayed. And here's what's miraculous about it. Suddenly, while they're there, don't you realize that their victory turned to threats? Every time you think you win, sometime for the Lord, Satan will always try to destroy it. He always tries to kill every vision and every experience. It's called the reverse. The lion of reverse roared. I want to tell you the good news. The church prayed, and the Lord moved with power. God tore that jail all to pieces. When the lion of reverse roars, the Spirit of God comes and turns the reverse into a revival for you personally. The Word says that they left there and they went everywhere preaching Jesus. So I'm through. I know the Lord's Spirit directed me. So I'm going to say this. I don't know what lions are roaring at you. A lion of sickness, if it is, turn it into sanctification. A time where you and God. If you've been hurt, wounded, turn it into a help because the Word declares that He is a very present help. If you're in the midst of trouble, turn it into triumph. If you're in pain, turn it into praise. If the lion of weakness roars at you, be faithful like Paul did, like he was. If suddenly your whole world's been reversed, turn it into a revival. And here's what I want to say to be through. Because when you turn to God, when the Spirit of God has His way in your life, God will always send you a revival. God will let you eat the honey out of the very thing that Satan tried to use to destroy you. And by the way, when you get to eat the honey, take some for your friends and take some for your family because that is our calling.